0: Kings chapter 2, 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 2 of 1 Kings chapter 2. I go the way of all the earth, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Say, act like a man. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for all that has already touched our hearts. God, we thank you for what has stirred our minds. But most importantly, oh God, we thank you for your darling son, Jesus, who loved us first. Father, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love, which is in Christ Jesus. And now, oh God, may you be honored as we respond with ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some of you are uh, familiar with the popular, popular comedy that came out in April, actually on tax day, April the 15th, 1990, in Living Color. Uh, that series uh, remained on TV for four years. It ended in May 19, on May 19, 1994. Now, those those of you who are willing to admit that you watched that comedy, (laughs) uh, there were some unforgettable recurring sketches that included such characters as Fire Marshal Bill Burns, Homie (laughs) D-Clown, Vera DeMello, who was played by Jim Carrey, He portrayed a steroid-abusing female bodybuilder. Vera was best known for her unnaturally deep, breathy voice and grotesque, horse-like laugh. I'm not going to imitate her. Oh, somebody just did. Then there was Wanda, played by Jamie Foxx. She was the girl that nobody wanted. And she would famously say when she thought she had a man, I'm going to rock your world. Amen, amen, amen. You didn't have to say it. Your eyes told me you knew. Of all the characters in Living Living Color that I would consider my favorite, it would be Anton Jackson. Damon Wayans played the part of a drunken, homeless man who lived in a series of self-made cardboard boxes. And because of his destitute plight, citizens as well as the news media, media were attracted to this man's home situation. And they would interview him. And they would ask if they could help, if they could contribute. And he would always proudly say, I live in luxury. And he said, I had my own home built TV. And then he would point to a crayon drawn TV that he had personally grafted on to the wall. They he said, well, what, what do you use for toiletries? And what do you use for the bathroom? Then he picked, picked this big jar, and he said he had the most convenient and updated uh, toilet facilities. As you sat laughing and being grossed out, that in his mind, somehow, that was appropriate. He would try to impress you with int- his intelligence, my making up words that did not exist. Anton Jackson had an answer for everything that you could ans- ask him and he would try his best to convince you that there was nothing that you knew that he did not know. He had a very prideful, imagination, and was proud of it. Now, when I thought about Father's Day and Anton Jackson, there are at least two things that many men share in common with Anton Jackson. We men think we know more than we really do know. We don't want nobody, we don't want anybody telling us what we really don't want to be told. It is hard to correct a man. Men often feel disrespected if challenged by their decisions or by our lifestyle. We know we would rather be wrong than somebody to tell us what we don't discover on our own. We want to discover it on our own. We're not going to buy a book. We're not going to read a book. We're not going to the seminars unless our wives really twist our arms tightly. We don't need to listen to a sermon twice. We have the spirit of Anton Jackson. It is extremely difficult. Therefore, church is often thought of by, by, by men as a place for women and children, because that is where you go for people to tell you what you already should know. Kind of quiet up in here. Now, we don't beat men up at New Direction, and that's not the purpose of this message. Amen? Amen, brothers. I heard, I heard a couple of you guys. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 2, David gives a charge to his adult son Solomon. Now, Solomon thought, like Anton Jackson and some men, he would have taken David's charge as an insult. David says to his son, his, the king that is going to succeed him, Solomon, he says, son, be strong and be a real man. You say that to a brother, that, that, that kind of shakes some things. But Solomon did not take those words from his father as an insult. One of the quickest ways to bring anger out of a man is to say, you don't act like a man. You ain't no real man. And sometimes, in the heat of an argument, the brother who towers over his wife, there she is with her finger pointing pointing at his chest and tapping that chest. You need to be a real man. You need to man up. I think that because of the way God has designed men, one of the worst things that a woman could ever do is to challenge a man's masculinity. I believe that a woman can encourage a man you need to be stronger, honey. Keep working at it, get better but you can only, uh, only another man can say to a man, man up. Man up. One of the things that will quickly devastate your marriage and drive your husband away is your attempt as a woman to do what you have no idea to do in terms of the ability or the skill is to tell a man how to be a man. It takes a man to raise a man. And so you wanna be very careful how you communicate with the men in your life. Only a man can tell a man, be a man. When David told his son, be strong, act like a real man, Solomon listened closely to his father's words. What David was saying is, I am about to die, and I can't imagine as I'm thinking about my own legacy in life, as I am departing from this world and returning to the place where Jesus said he'd gone to prepare for those who are part of his body, the part of the church, what I would want to say to my three sons, David said, when I leave here, you're going to face challenges such as you've never experienced before. You are going to be confronted with with circumstances that will require nothing less than greater strength and a determination to act like a real man. Now, obviously, if David is saying, act like a real man, he has an idea of what that description, what that definition would actually look like. What is a real man from a biblical perspective? I want you to consider with me the fact that David is called a man after God's own heart. And so the characteristics that were developed in David's lifetime as he ruled over the nation of Israel, he could reflect back on those specific experiences in his walk with God and say, you can look at my lifestyle and, and find the traits that mark off what a real man looks like. What's interesting is it's not that complicated, and like never before. And I, I, I'm going to take my time to kind of launch this plane. Everybody's fighting for their rights, women's rights. This is the year, the the the, the, the uh, decade, the century of women. The decade, women are finally going to stand up. They ain't going to take it no more. And you got the uh, lesbians and homosexuals. Everybody's saying for their rights and. Men are in between that being squeezed in such a way that it's almost offensive to be a man today. It it, it really is. It's really a question about what real masculinity is. And if you watch what TV is trying to redefine for man, you'll find that that description of manhood does not match what the word of God has to say about what a real man is somebody say man up up. what we're going to see in the word of God today from the life of David is that there are at least five traits that are true of real men and this will not only bless the brothers in the church today but it's going to bless the sisters and the first trait is that men, men, men of God, men that God takes notice of, they're first and foremost worshipers. David's primary uh, calling card, his logo, his, he, he, what would most distinguish David as the author of the majority of the Psalms is that David was a worshiper. Now before I elaborate on what that means, I want you to travel back in history with me and understand that when we talk about men as worshipers and and therefore uh, uh, expressing what God would say a real man is, men were the ones who led their families in public and private worship. Amen. It was God who gave fathers the responsibility to cast a vision and not send their families to synagogue or to the church. Men brought their children and wives to church. Something has changed about the landscape for men. And so when you look across this nation and you see that the majority of those who come to church are not men but women, I want you to know that men need to man up. We have shirked our responsibility, and God is calling us to lead our families as worshipers. Now, what is a worshiper? When we are worshiping God, what we're actually doing, the word means worthy ship. We are saying by our actions and our attitudes that we value God, and what we value, we will treat as valuable. And so a worshiper is someone who values God and we demonstrate that by how we treat God. If you want to know if you're a worshiper, if you value God, if you see him as significant, as you, if you see him as preeminent and, 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 and the one who should be the Lord and supreme over your life, it will be demonstrated by how you respond to God. Your lifestyle will demonstrate that. Worship is a, the proper response to divine revelation. In John chapter 4 verse 24 the bible says that god is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth what that says is that god when we talk about worshiping the proper response to revelation that it is not just an emotional expression we respond authentically genuinely and sincerely but that sincerity in terms of how it is expressed externally is in relationship to truth they that worship him worship him in truth. So general worship is never going to be done out of ignorance. The Word of God says, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. So when I'm reading the Word of God, the Spirit of God living in me, when the truth is being given, the Spirit is going to say yes and amen, even if we never open up our mouth, because the Spirit is programmed to respond to the truth of God's Word. The the Bible says that as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. The Spirit of God is at work in us when we hear the revelation of God. So worship is more than just raising your hands and clapping your hands and singing and running and shouting. While all those things are a part of it, it's most importantly, it's showing your value of God based on the revelation of his words, the proper response to God's word. L- worship is also loving God back because he first loved you. That's what worship is. That's what as simple as that. I'm loving God back in the same way that he loves us. How does God love us? God loves us unconditionally, without strings attached, in spite of love, active love. And so, brothers, when I'm worshiping God, I'm giving back to him what we've already received. When I'm worshiping God, I'm saying you are the most valuable, most important, significant, worthy person in my life. Not only because of what you have done, but because of who you are. Because if God never loved me, if God never showed mercy, he is still God. Those are simply expressions of his unconditional love. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit too. Now, here's some things that will be evident when you recognize that God has called us to be worshipers of him. Here's how you know when you're being a worshiper. Worship includes surrender to God because of his tender mercies. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says, Paul says, Therefore, by the mercies of God. I beg you, the mercies of God occur in chapters 11 all the way back to chapter 1. His righteousness, his justice, his grace. He said, because of all of the mercies, mercies is when we don't get what we deserve. In light of what God has done and the position that we now have in him, we were lost in sin, separated from God, dead in our trespasses and sin. In light of what God has now done, he has given us his grace. In the person of his son, he says, I beg you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable spiritual service. So when I surrender, when I present myself, my, the body that God has given me to serve him, that is an act of worship. And the scripture says that's the least. It's not the most that we can do. It's the least that you can do because even the bodies that we have, the Bible said, don't you know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God? He lives in you. You have been brought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. I'm not my own. I belong to him. That's why we need to take the position of Paul. I am crucified with Jesus nevertheless. And so to worship, when I'm responding properly to the revelation of God and loving him back, it means I'm going to surrender. It also means that you're going to be single-minded. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I want to know him. Some of us want to know church. We don't want, we want to know credentials. We don't want to say we went to Bible school. We want to say we went here, we traveled there. We're we, we in charge of this or that. Paul says that I may know him. He was single-minded in his focus. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. He said, because this one thing I do. A man who is a worshiper, single-minded, we make it our goal to be known, to know Christ the way we know, the way he knows us. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Our goal is not to have wealth, health, and happiness, our goal is to know him as we are known by him. So true worship means that I'm surrendered. I'm all in. I've died with you. You are my master. You are my Lord. Whatever you say, I'll do. I'm not going to call you master without doing the things that you say I should do. I'm going to abide in you and your word. I want you to know, sisters, if you don't know a man that is surrendered to the Lord like that for worship and singly focused, he's not ready to be a husband to you. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. Help me out. Amen. Do you have a single focus? That's why we get, we get caught up in our feelings and our emotions, because it becomes about us, not about him. Amen. When it's about him. Paul said he was in prison, and he said they were preaching and benefiting from my suffering, but he said all I care about is that Christ is being preached, and people are getting saved because his focus was singular, build the kingdom of God. A person who's worshiping the Lord is going to be a seeker of the Lord. With a pure heart in Jeremiah, we always quote, the Lord says, I know I know, my thoughts towards you, and uh, my thoughts are not evil to give you a, a, a favorable end. Yeah, God is going to bless us. And, but he says, after you have sought me <laughs> with all of your heart, when you get serious about this, yes. when you get desperate for me like a deer who's panting for water, and the only thing that will satisfy him is water. You ought to have, as a man, in your experience with Christ, an insatiable appetite, a desire to be in the presence of the Lord. Nothing can take the place. You know how it is. Whenever I eat ice cream and I eat too much of it, Lord have mercy. It makes me thirsty. I didn't know what I'm talking about. Now, you could offer me any kind of liquid. Uh, a substance to take away, but unless I drink water, my thirst is not quenched. There is a thirst that the Lord puts in our heart for him. Like he said to the woman who was at the well, the Samaritan woman, he said, if you had asked me to drink, I would have given you water that would cause you never to thirst again. Have you drank from that fountain, brothers? Nobody can do you like Jesus. I know how sweet she is. I know how good that perfume smells. I know she's just awesome. But no one can do us like Christ. And so the worshiper seeks the Lord in sincerity. I want you to know one of the things that the devil wants to prevent you from experiencing is ever encountering the Lord on a level where he meets you on the level where there's contact with your soul. Because there's a longing in your soul that only there's a God vacuum that only he can fill. Another thing that is true about men who are worshipers and worshipers in general is that you will have not only a seeking person, a surrendered person, and a person who's single minded they're going to be a supplicating person. Jesus said men ought to always pray lest you faint. Here's how you draw close to the Lord. You be people that spend time in the presence of the Lord praying. James put it this way, draw nigh unto the Lord and he will draw near to you. The way I get close to the Lord, he says pray without faith so that you won't faint. What that means is much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. I am ushered into the presence of the Lord when we are on speaking terms, not just when you're trying to get that job, not when they're talking about firing you, not when you're getting ready to go to the hospital to be evaluated for that lump that you can't explain, But I'm talking about constantly being in a position where you are talking to the Lord, where the Bible says praying without ceasing, but there's another kind of prayer. Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. He said that you ought to always be entering into your secret place. When you're entering into your secret place through supplication, through prayer, you will learn how to recognize the voice of God. And one of the most scary things to me is that people who profess to be Christians but don't, they, they don't, they cannot say that they've heard from God. There's no way that a sheep can't hear the shepherd's voice, the shepherd of our soul, Jesus. And so you want to be supplicating, seeking, because men are true worshipers. I want you to know when Adam became a worshiper, it it, it wasn't after he was placed in charge of a ministry or when he got a title, the first thing that God established between him and Adam was was an intimate relationship. Adam was a worshiper from the very beginning before there was ever an Eve, before there was any other responsibility. It was Adam and God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You want a man, a real man, has a personal relationship with the Lord as his priority relationship. Because if he can't love God, he sure can't love you. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and strength. You need to love God like that. And we talked about this before. You should love God so much that any other love is so insignificant in comparison that it almost seems like hate that you should love God so much that he is the center of your joy. You should love God in such a way, which with all of your heart, with all your strength, that by the time you get to heaven, you're so exhausted from seeking God and supplicating for God and surrendering to God that you're totally exhausted and you're falling into the arms of the Savior because now you don't have to seek him anymore. You have Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. A worshiper, a worshiper. There are a lot of people that are church attenders and, and good members until somebody offends them. But when you are a worshiper, you want to be where worship is occurring. That's why the Bible says uh, uh, where two or three are gathered together in my name, where worship is occurring, where people are seeking me and surrender. You want to be there. A young man was sitting on the porch with his grandfather in the, in the, in the, out on his farm, and he noticed the granddad's da- dog, the dog just took off running. And then about Seven or eight other dogs went running after the the grandfather's dog. And they just ran around and ran around. And then over time, one dog stopped, another dog stopped. And then the dogs that were chasing the grandfather's dog, all of them eventually stopped running. But the grandfather's dog kept running. And so the young man said, well, why is our dog still running? He said, let me explain something to you, son. The eight dogs saw my dog running and chasing, but my dog saw the rabbit. (laughs) I want you to understand when you have seen Jesus in your personal devotions, when you've seen Jesus as he's revealed in the word of God, when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and more necessary than my necessary food, nothing can satisfy that. You will continue to pursue him with everything that you have. You will be a worshiper because the Lord has placed eternity in our hearts. We have a heart's desire for him. My question to you, brothers, are you a real man? Does your heart burn for the Lord like that? Sometimes when things, you just can't figure it out. I don't know how many times, I don't know what to say or what to do, and, and it's regarding the church, and, and I don't have anybody to call, and it's just not that simple, but here's what I do know. I know I hear from the Lord. I know that I'm on good terms with him, and by and by, he's going to tell me. That's the confidence of a worshiper that you give back to God, your, His love, the kind of love that He gives you, that you value Him. Do you value Him? Here's a second thing. Not only are men worshipers, but they work. Now, as I was preparing this sermon, I realized, and this was, God put this on my heart. I looked at last year's sermon. It's the same outline, not the, not the same sermon. Amen. But the principles concerning men, they don't change. We don't need more revelation. We we don't need a new interpretation. Maybe if he said it in another language. Maybe if they spoke in a tongue, no, no, no. The tongue that God has already revealed to us that we can understand, we simply need to take it to heart. And one of the things that is true of a real man A real man will work. He will have a job if he can work. And one of the hardest things for men who retire is that their identity is so tied into their work that they become depressed. And the highest incidence of suicide is is, is 55 and older because men don't feel needed anymore. Now, your job doesn't define who you are. We need to understand that. But real men work. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. I want you to know that we've done a horrible job of taking care of the Garden of Eden. Our Garden of Eden, the world, we have destroyed in many ways the environment and the climate. Amen. Amen. And we are now suffering the consequences of that irregardless to what people are saying. It's not true. God gave man the responsibility to care for the environment, to care for the climate. That's our job. We were given a job. Now, notice, the job is not the result of the fall of man. This is, pre, this is pre-Adamic sin. Adam doesn't fall until chapter 3, so work is not a part of the curse. But Work is a blessing. Somebody say amen. Bible says about your work regarding a man that is real is not just working for a paycheck, but you're working for the Lord because it is God's command. The scripture says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Here's what Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 says: your ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all your paths. He knows exactly what you're doing when you're at work. He's reading every text message. He's looking at every video. He's watching every extra piece of supplies that you take home that don't belong to you. He's watching all the church work that you're doing at, at work that you shouldn't be doing at work. He knows that you are skating. I got a job. I'm a real man. But are you just simply getting along, going along to get along? Are you satisfied with just being average when the Bible says that we ought to be excellent in everything that we do? Are you satisfied with a C when you have the capability of earning an A? I want to suggest to you, if you're going to be comfortable with a C rather than working towards that A, then you are not a hard worker. You're a lazy worker. I want to suggest to you that there are a lot of lazy men today. Man, I would get so angry with my stepfather. Whenever they had to pick up a pick or a hammer or a shovel, they didn't pull me down there. and I'm a ball player. I'm a baseball. I want to be a professional ball player. In his mind, though, the real world is you're going to be using your hands. <laughs> but what he was also teaching me is the value of working hard. Brothers, what have you ever broken a sweat for other than a, or being on the basketball court? You ought to be a diligent worker, an eager worker, one who takes initiative, one who doesn't need to be told, a person who has a steady job. The Bible says if a man will not work, he should not eat. So every time I go to the Wawa's wild or of these places and grown men are standing out and they're healthy and sometimes healthier than me, I'm not giving them any food. I'll pray for you. I'm not mad at you. I'm simply saying, if you will not work, God says, I created you to work. Yes. Not to find the woman who has the best job, the nicest house, so you can chill. Wow, wow. They're men who are looking for women to take care of them, they're grown men who are living off of their parents. Every single day. God created you to work. I also believe that God, if you do not have as a man, the gift that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, he it says, it's better for man to, to marry than to burn in lust. That doesn't mean that every man should get married, but if you don't have the ability to stop having sex with women and hurting women, that you have no intention of marrying, you do not intend to marry them then you should, if a man, if you talk to a brother and you're considering him, you ask him, what are your intentions? Well, I'm just trying to figure it out. I just A man's con- intentions. if you don't have the gift, you need to be preparing for marriage. You need to be taking that money you're earning and saving it for your family before you get a family. And if you're not doing that, what you're saying is, I am not prepared to make the commitment that God said you must make in obedience because he says, such were some of you. You were fornicators. You were idolaters. You were son of mine, But now that you have the mercy and the righteousness of God dwelling in you, you can't live that way and still call yourself a man of God. You ought to be working. The Bible says if a man will not provide for his family, He's worse than an infidel. I also believe this, in Titus chapter 2, when the Lord gives a description of the roles that have not changed. He says the primary role of a wife is to love her husband and her family and to be a keeper in her home. Oh, see, there we go with that old antiquated, male chauvinistic. uh, uh, No, don't shoot the messenger. That's your primary responsibility. And he says that the husband should take care of his wife. He should be the primary breadwinner. Now, sometimes that's not possible, but that's the ideal. And most of the women I talk to, if they could come home tomorrow, they'd be shutting it down and be right there with their families. And sometimes that's not possible. Because of the bills you made, like the woman said, oh, the pastor said, all I got to do is leave my job, and you're responsible <laughs> to take care of me. And I'm going to give them my resignation tomorrow. Okay, honey, but we'll do without cable, we can turn your cell phone in, and they will let them come and repossess our cars. And we're going to have to move down to North Wilmington, and and, 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 and one of those, one of, it doesn't have to be North Wilmington, it could be Newark or Bear. We're going to move into part of Delaware where rent is less than $500. So if you downsize, you need to have a plan. You better have a plan. And then when she does come home based on the agreement as a Holy Spirit has directed you as a spiritual servant leader in your home, don't batter her because she doesn't bring a paycheck home. But God bless you if you have the kind of wife who earns more than you. And as you and her can work it out, work it out. Thank you, Jesus. But still, that doesn't change the order of God in terms of his ideal. Somebody say amen. A real man works. A real man works. Are you preparing for marriage, young man? One of the things that I see with young men today, they have no desire to be committed. In some ways, I don't blame them. And that wasn't a brother saying I can't give the answer to that. That was Siri. (laughs) Why would a man make a commitment to you when he can get everything from you without one? Why would he take on the responsibilities when every time he feels like he can run home to mama or dad? Why would he? It's wrong. But sisters, you need to take responsibility for yourself. Let's run on. And so a man of God is one. A real man works. He worships. He also, a real man, knows the word of God. Going back to 1 Kings chapter 2, David said, Observe what the Lord your God has what? Required. Walk in obedience to him and keep his what? Decrees and commandments, his law and regulations, as are what? Written in the law of Moses. The, 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 the word of God is recorded In this book we call the Bible. So real men that are following the Lord Jesus, they not only know the word of God, but they accept the authority of God over their lives. What God says settles it. I'm sick of talking to men who, when it comes to how they feel versus what the Bible says, the word of God has no authority over their life. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed, theonumetized, out of the very mouth of God. We say we believe this book. It said it is profitable for doctrine and reproof and instruction in righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly, adequately equipped for all good works. Everything you need is in this book. It comes from the mouth of God. So when God speaks and it's clear, your response should be Yes. But a man that will not submit to the authority of the Word of God is not a real man, and he sure isn't a Christian, or he's not acting like one. He knows the Word of God because he accepts the authority. he also actually, accurately what we have in a lot of churches today. It's not an exegesis. It's an, eise- an eisegesis. It's telling the Word of God what we wanted to say yeah. rather than. What it actually says. Paul says, but be ye, but Paul says, study to show yourself approved. A workman who rightly executes or cuts straight the Word of God. A man of God, a real man of God, accurately yeah. studies the Word of God. You don't look for past. See, the Bible says, submit to your own husband in all things. We know that verse, but what's the context? Look at the, first, the verse, verse 21 says, submit to one another. That's what it says. And submission doesn't mean that you get to step on your wife and ignore her. What it does mean that she voluntarily comes, beneo, voluntarily comes under your authority as you are leading her according to the word of God. Amen. I don't know very many women who won't follow a man who's following the Lord. Not only do we accept the authority of the word of God and accurately study, we apply the word. Here's what David says, going back to 1 Kings 2. He says, walk in obedience to him and keep his decree and commands in his law and regulations that are recorded. It's one thing to know the word. It's an entirely different thing, men, to apply the word that you know. He says, keep his decrees. Obey his law. The reason why they say, well, the Bible doesn't even work. Well, I'll tell you why it doesn't work. Because you haven't obeyed it. When you obey the scriptures, God said, I will make your way prosperous. I will cause you to be successful. You will be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. And whatever you do, the word works, but you have to apply the word. I don't care how you're feeling, because we don't walk by what we can see and how we feel. We walk by faith, and faith is the substance. Oh my goodness! Somebody say, "Amen." God's word works. Real men know the word. They accurately apply it. They act ac- active, accurately study, and they accept it. That's why you need to come to Bible study. Bible study is not just for women. You can buy a book that teaches you how to do inductive Bible studies, brothers. We have a church of women who are gifted, and now they have done, done the work. And they're looking for us as men to lead them by example, not just walking. And I'm not saying we do this, but I used to, when I went to church, you could know who was in charge by who had the biggest set of keys. That person always walking around the back of the church shaking his keys. I don't know how many times I've gone to teach workshops and the only person that never sits down is the pastor. Brothers, we have to show up. We have to show these ladies that we're serious about the the, the charge that God has given us to be strong and be men. Amen, brothers. Real men are warriors. We're almost done. You know what that means? That we are protectors. Jesus said that the kingdom of God from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and they that take it, take it by force. You don't turn in your man card once you get saved. A a lot of brothers get confused. We get real passive. And soft-spoken, and that's why somebody, I don't want to be a Christian. You can't be a man. you got to leave. The only man in the church is a pastor. That's not scriptural. The kingdom of God is taken by force. You've got to put on the whole armor of God. The Bible says our weapons are not carnal, but we got weapons, and they're mighty to the point. We've got weapons. You've got to protect your family. You got to fight with everything that you have to protect them from all this junk that they're seeing on the internet. And everybody wants to be a lesbian now. Everybody wants to be bisexual. Everybody's signing off. Why? Where is this coming from? They're not. We're not teaching our children the word. We're allowing the world to teach them. What we do know is that God loves everyone, but He hates sin. We should love everyone. We should not discriminate or be prejudiced, but we don't accept what God rejects. But that also means I don't expect somebody who's unsaved to live like they are. They don't have the ability to do it. That's why they see it as okay. They don't know Jesus. You cannot walk in darkness while walking in the light at the same time. Somebody say amen. Real men are warriors. Are you a warrior? And I didn't say that if somebody offended you, you wouldn't call them outside and say, look, we can handle this, like, we can handle this right now. Men think that, okay, this is what it means to be a protector. No. It means to do what Matthew 18 says. If somebody offends you, Here's what a warrior does. You go to that person in private, and you try to reconcile. Somebody say amen. amen. If somebody scratched your car, you would be trying to get that thing fixed, wouldn't you? But with, the, with people you want to spend eternity with, you don't have enough patience, enough grace to try to fix the scratch in that relationship. Warriors pray for their enemies and those who despitefully use them and bless those who curse them. Somebody say amen. We're almost done. Warriors also practice self-control. When you get a chance, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says no soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this world. You cannot be, you can't live like you're unsaved Monday through Saturday and then call yourself a soldier of Christ. No soldier is distracted by the, the ways of the world and then decide to put a suit and a tie on, and now you're cool. You must act, you must, Paul says, I buffet my body. I bring my body under subjection. One of the hardest things for me to do, I am not a morning person, no stretch of the imagination. My wife is up somewhere praying at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'm hoping she doesn't nudge me too hard. But to get ready for the word, I gotta be up at five o'clock. I gotta tell my flesh what to do. And when we tell the flesh what to do, the flesh will obey. We're running on, we're almost done. Finally, men are not only warriors, workers, worshipers, men are also winners. Say winners. Sisters, you're looking for a winner. Somebody who works. The winners, by that I mean, David says, here's what God promises. If you obey my word, my precepts, my law, he said, my throne will never be empty from a descendant that comes from my loins. What he's saying is men are winners. When you obey the word of God, God keeps his promise. He, the Bible said, don't be weary and well-doing because if you don't faint in due season, you will reap. You will win. And so when you're looking for a real man, one of the things that's going to be true of a real man is that you're going to see him using his spiritual gifts in the context of the church. Real men come to church. Amen. Okay, Lord. Real men produce spiritual fruit. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you, that you may bear fruit and that the fruit that you bear will remain. You ought to see evidence of the presence of the Lord in a man's life through the fruit that they're bearing. You ought to see spiritual growth. That's what that means to be a winner. Oh, he got a better job. He's down. Look at the suits that he's wearing. Some of the biggest demons in the world. The Bible says, don't be deceived because the devil appears as an angel of light." You ought to see, as I've already indicated. And men who are winners, the blessings of the Lord. You want a man that's being blessed by God. Stand with me. A man who's being blessed by God. Here's how you know when God is blessing someone. When we recognize that nothing that we have, if it's right, it doesn't come from us. It comes from him. A man who's getting blessed by the Lord is going to give praise and thanks to God. He's going to acknowledge God. What are your standards, ladies? Do you want a winner who's a real man, who's being blessed by the Lord, who's growing spiritually? And brothers, the question is, now that you've got her, are you growing spiritually? Are you leading your wife as a servant leader from the word of God? If you went to court today, is there enough evidence to prove that you're even saved? As I close today. There are two men that should be in every man's life. You ought to have a Nathan in your life, and you ought to have a Barnabas. Some of you remember Nathan was a prophet who came to the king. And he told the king a story about how a ewe lamb was stolen by a man who was rich. And in all kinds of abundance, and David said, go get him. I'm going to make him pay in fourfold and so forth. And then Nathan said, David, it's you. You are the man. You need a Nathan in your life that can tell you without trembling in his voice. Brother Tim, you wrong. You wrong, Elder. You wrong. Now, here's the problem. We like Anton Jackson. You can't really correct a man. And the older we get, the worse we get. The hardest patients to deal with in the hospital are men. You need a Nathan in your life. And the question I have for you, is there someone like that who can tell you the truth about you? The problem is also is that the only kind of man some of us have had in our lives growing up is somebody who's always telling you when you're wrong versus telling you, like Barnabas told Paul, I know that all of these things are against you, but I'm with you. He came alongside Paul and encouraged him and caused Paul to know that God had a plan for him. We need Barnabases too. Sometimes, Nathan and Barnabas can be one person. But I want you to know you will never become all that God intends for you to be. And again, some of the worst culprits are pastors. Nobody can tell pastors anything. That's not what God, iron sharpens iron. Two are better than one. There is wisdom in the multitude of counseling. That doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you dumb. That doesn't make you feminine. That makes you wise. Sometimes that Nathan is not another man, it's your wife. (laughs) Our problem in marriage is women don't know how to talk to men. And men don't know how to listen to women. That's the biggest part, communication. I want you to understand that God gave you your helpmeet to help you. And I pray to God that we will respond to David's charge to Solomon. Be strong and act like a real man. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We bless you, oh God, for all.